<laughs> Welcome everybody to a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by the math, Alex Barth. I'm pretty sure they scored 24 points though, Alex. Yeah, but the, 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 the Hail Mary had nothing to do with the math. The Hail Mary was because the math had failed them. So I won't, I'll give the Chargers that touchdown. It was a very nice catch. I won't give the math that touchdown. So you're giving the actual football people, the Patriots, the nod here over the Chargers. The well, math. It's not me loses. giving it to them, is it? This was this was the score. That, this was well, the score until they went into until they went into Hail Mary defense. The Patriots did go for it on fourth down on the goal line, so I'm not exactly sure if uh, they were anti-math this week. They were kind of pro-math. They threw the ball a little bit more. They went for it on fourth down. I don't know, Alex. I think that maybe Bill Belichick is actually listening to the nerds a little bit more. How do you feel about that? I I think he went for it on fourth down when logic it logically made sense to go for it on fourth down. I don't uh-huh. think that math factored into that decision i look i'm not saying that the decisions that the math tells you to make are wrong what i am saying is blindly following the math and using it as the end-all be-all and in relying on it as a crutch to make your decisions is an issue sometimes the math and the logic line up and that's that's fair but not all the time and the people who use it as the deciding factor and you can't discuss anything more you can't consider anything more that's where my problem lies. And it made sense to go for it in that situation. Now, the way they went about it, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, I, I, you know, Bill's not a slave to the math. And, you know, when we talk about kind of the things Brendan Staley does, right, it, it, does he necessarily consider other factors or does he just look at his spreadsheet? That's what I mean when I say the math. To me, the math is you look at the spreadsheet or you call up to the box or you have the people with the calculators yeah. and they make the decision and there's no discussion of, you know, what, what, what packages, what, what, you know, how's the game been going? What's the momentum? What are the field conditions? What's this? What's that? That's kind of what I mean by it. I, what you're saying basically is uh, indictment more so on the baseball analytics community and how they view it in a lot of situations where you see in right. baseball, the starters only go in a couple of innings and the lineup changes that they make and the shifting and and football is not that far behind. They're far behind in a it's lot of It's starting to bleed in. It's, it's starting, starting to bleed, to bleed in. in. And you're, you're anti-math in baseball too. So I, rep- I appreciate your consistency with this take. The interesting thing is now we're, we're going to talk a little bit here. This is the trade deadline special. I have to say that the Patriots yep. did not make a move. It doesn't sound like at the trade deadline we're going to get into why here in a minute we're also going to discuss some of the other moves across the league and why it was relatively quiet the nfl trade deadline is not the nba trade deadline it's not the mlb trade deadline where there's usually a million fireworks right but the fact is is that this was a quiet deadline and we'll get into in a second why it was but just to finish up this point about the math and and all these situations The Chargers actually punted the football on a few occasions where they've been normally going for it on fourth down, and they psyched themselves out a little bit playing the Patriots in that respect that they didn't want to go for it and give the Patriots offense short fields, and they wanted to force Mac Jones to play the field position game and drive 80 yards on them and all that kind of stuff. And the guy that really put that strategy uh, in a coffin was your boy Gunner, right? Gunner goes right. out there and he has three big returns, and that really made those punts that uh, the Chargers 
went didn't go for it on a couple fourth downs where they normally would go for it. They punted it instead. Gunner returns it back 25 yards, and all of a sudden the field position game that they were trying to play goes out by the wayside. We have to really quickly off the top here, I uh, shout out our friends at com.com. You can use that promo code GARDEN and receive 40% off a COM premium subscription. Uh, do you know who uses COM, Alex? It turns out uh, LeBron James. LeBron James Mac Jones used it too. Maybe he does. Uh, LeBron James is a big com.com guy though. So you can uh, go ahead and sleep like the King, uh, King James that is, and, and go use com.com uh, slash garden, receive 40% off. And uh, that's the uh, promo right there. And then let's uh, talk about the trade deadline. Then we're going to get into the chargers and the Patriots. Cause it was a really fun matchup for the Patriots because they won the game for Patriots fans, but also just breaking down uh, the different intricacies of this game will be a lot of fun here in a few minutes, but let's start with the trade deadline. We're now at four Oh six Eastern time. It sounds like the uh, Patriots have not made a deal. We might get a deal or two trickle in here late at, at the deadline at, right down to the wire. But some of the big names that people thought were or were hoping were going to move here at the deadline, Brandon Cooks, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Deshaun Watson for other teams interested, didn't happen, Alex. And I think the biggest reason why, talking to a lot of uh, people around the league, was they there was only so much cap space league-wide. The average amount of cap space right now for the NFL is $6 million per team. And a lot of the teams that had a ton of cap space were not contenders. And if you're not a contender this year, then keeping that cap flexibility to use it next offseason and in the offseasons to follow is the best course of action versus buying somebody in season and dealing uh, with the cap ramifications that way. So a lot of the teams that had space were not true contenders this year and were not buyers at the deadline. The teams that might want it to buy that were on the fringe, like a team like the Patriots, only sitting there with about $2.6 million in cap space. We knew this going in, that the Patriots are going to probably be relatively quiet because of their cap situation. And you look at the trade that was made, the blockbuster yesterday, with the Rams and the Broncos, with Von Miller going to Los Angeles because the cap doesn't exist in LA apparently Uh, a big reason why the cap doesn't exist for the Rams in that situation was because the Broncos are paying 90% of Von Miller's salary for the rest of the year so a lot of the deals that you heard talked about uh, today Odell's name did come up a little bit Um, I I think Brandon Cooks was staying put the whole time Marlon Mack certainly tried to shop it Uh, Fletcher Cox with the Eagles that was one that came in late that they were trying to shop him around as well but teams were willing to give up the compensation what they weren't willing to do was give up the compensation and take on the salary if you wanted to make a von miller type of trade that trade might have been on the table but to get the compensation back and not have to pay any of the base salary for the player remaining of the season that was where teams ran into some issues and just by the way adam Schefter just tweeted out a list of trades going back to gilmore a couple weeks ago but that, that kind of seems like a definitive, right? Like a finite, you know, like we're, we're done, done here. Yeah. If Schefter's yeah. not hearing of anything else, it's it, it probably didn't get done. Devin Smith did get cut by the Panthers. Um, the uh, Another thing I wonder if it slowed it down, and this is kind of a developing thing I figured we'd talk more about in the spring, but now is kind of a good moment to check in on it. If you remember during the draft last year, in just, you know, right around the draft, we were talking about how those 2022 picks were so valuable. Because so many players elected to stay in college because of the pandemic. 
in the spring of 2021. So you had a lighter draft class in 2021. It was like 300 fewer prospects overall. And all of those prospects are now pushed to 2022. So teams are hesitant to move those picks because right. a third round pick, right? A fourth round pick in 2022 is like a third round pick any other year. Well, what's been interesting on the college side of things this year is this, there, there's really no top end to this draft. Yeah. Right. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau's the consensus number one. He's been inconsistent. Darryl We've been Stingley talking about hurt. this a lot off the air, right. just about how lackluster the top of the draft is this right. year. It, it's not just the quarterbacks. I mean, everybody's yeah. not hurt. Hamilton's been hurt. You know, yeah. there's been guys that haven't been performing well. It's not just the quarterbacks. So I was wondering if maybe you'd see the value of those picks decrease. But what I wonder is when you have all of these guys that, you know, you don't really have, I don't know how many of the guys in this draft are consensus top 20 right now. There'll be some that sort themselves out. Thibodeau will be a top 10 pick for sure. Yeah. But he's going to he be number one overall. At this I, I, I would think right now he is, unless yeah. it shakes out where, you know, it's a team that really wants Evan Neal. But yeah. anyway, my point being, I think that there's going to be a lot of players in this draft that are, you know, anywhere between a late day one and an early day three grade, like a lot of players in that range. And I think a lot of teams are going to see this as, you know, okay, here's a guy who was a first round pick last year. He had a rough 2021, but everybody had a rough 2021. Maybe we, and that maybe we can tap into it. And that's what the Patriots did this year, right? They drafted a bunch of guys who were better in 2019 than 2020. Right. So I, I wonder if now, like I, I might've been wrong in thinking that the, the poor play in college football this season was decreasing the value. I wonder if it's actually increasing the value of these picks, because when I say poor play, it's really just from the top of the draft class. It's not like the middle has been bad either. Everybody's just kind of in one big group and it will get sorted out a little bit, but it's not sorted out right now. You haven't had the combine. You haven't had all of these things. So I, I think that th this was a sign that those 2022 draft picks teams are more hesitant to, 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 part ways with the draft picks for this year. I think it's a sign that these draft picks are perhaps even more valuable than we initially speculated back in the spring. And not to let, let them off the hook, but if that is indeed the case league wide, then Stefan Gilmore for a sixth round pick in, in uh, I think that's a 2023 pick even, isn't that's, it? Yeah. So that's outside of this. That's, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I just wonder if the trade market for Stefan Gilmore was a little bit less hot than what the Patriots maybe wanted just because of the value of those 2020 picks and the fact that Gilmore is not under contract and all that kind of stuff beyond this year. So the moves that were made, uh, Lauren Jarvarni Tardif here just uh, uh, right down to the, the Jets five. buying the Jets, the Jets winning one game and being buyers. Yeah. With the chiefs who probably shouldn't be trading decent offensive linemen, but that's besides the point. Uh, Charles and gets dealt to the 49ers. I actually thought of from Texas uh, Texans from Texas, I believe. Right. Uh, he was a guy that I thought maybe the Patriots would have been interested back in the draft. One of those uh, three, four tweeners, big, long, strong type of dude. He goes to the 49ers, Melvin Ingram to the chiefs, Von Miller, as I mentioned to the Rams, Mark Ingram, to the Saints a couple of days ago. Uh, Joe Flacco to the Jets. We're starting to get into some of the deals that happened last week. Right, is this the Schefter list? Yeah, this is the Schefter okay, list. Yeah, it goes back a little bit. Uh, yeah, so a quiet day relatively league-wide. The Patriots, as we uh, are now at 4.13 p.m., I think we can safely say the Patriots did not make a trade. So just uh, 
initially yeah, Karen Green and just confirmed. Yeah. No, no so, and what what do we think about this? Because on the one hand, I actually don't mind it because you look at the cap space that they currently have, two point six million dollars in space, according to Miguel uh, Pat's cap on Twitter, and you also look at the fact that they're four and four. They have a lot of new pieces on both sides of the football. This does feel like a year where it makes a lot of sense to just let's stay pat. Let's keep the flexibility we're going to have next offseason with the cap with some of these big contracts coming off like Devin McCourty and Dante Hightower. And let's let it play out this year with the guys that we have. And then we can reassess where the holes are in the offseason. Yeah, let's not forget. I mean, this is a pretty typical NFL trade deadline. I think the last yeah. co- outside of the Von Miller move, I think the last couple of years we sort of got spoiled. Like you said, it's a different sport. I just, if they made a move this year, it was going to be Isaiah Ford again. It was going to be a conditional seventh for a guy who may or may not play right. the kind of players they needed, right? The kind of players this team's team really needs aren't realistically gettable right now. Yeah. They'd have to part, you know, you're parting with more draft capital than you probably want to at this time of the year. You're paying a guy more, whatever. The situation just wasn't there because, yeah, could you know, they're the, the spots where they need players, you're just other teams need those players. What they really needed was depth. If they were going to make a move to me, it was add a body in the secondary, add a body at running back. Um, you know, any player they traded for. Would I have, I like, again, I'll go back to the secondary because that's where I was really looking. They signed Sean Davis two weeks ago. Yeah. I, and he's on the practice squad and we'll, we'll see if he gets elevated. But to me, they weren't going to go above Sean Davis. Like, I don't know that a guy above that, that, that or, stature. Or, or Brian Poole for that. Or matter. Brian Poole would be, another, would be another too. good point. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know that a guy above that stature was realistically gettable for them. They get those guys in the building. They didn't have to give anything up. Right. So that that's their deadline moves to me. And I know it sounds like a cop out, but the team's four and four realistically, unless you're in a spot like you're the Rams where the Rams might be the best team in football. You're not going to spend a ton at the deadline. That's just not how this works. So I'm fine with them passing on it. I, you know, I'm happy they didn't sell. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. Uh, You know, the win over the chargers probably solidified that if there was any thoughts of selling, they're gone after the the win over the chargers. But uh, I, you know, it is what it is. I'm fine with it. I never expect much at the NFL trade deadline anyway. So I think they're in a good shape. I, the one name I mentioned cooks, I mentioned Odell, which wasn't going to happen, at least not now. Why do people want Odell Beckham? Like he's a name that they know, right? I know he's a name, but I, he made one. What has he done since that catch? Like in all honesty, what has he done? He, he, I mean, he's had a thousand yard season since the catch, but I know, but he's not, he's not, he does look like he's maybe he does look like he's maybe lost a half a step, right? And, he's in an offense yeah. that was literally built around him, and he can't figure it out. Yeah, I I, I think that not making a move for the Patriots is is per, per exactly what I expected, and I 100% agree with it at this deadline. You know, a lot of people are looking for like Odell. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season, as always. Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. 
from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Right, I just mentioned. Oh, we did, hang on, we did have a, a late trade break in here. It doesn't involve the Patriots, but the Broncos traded rookie cornerback Kerry Vincent Jr. to the Eagles for a 2022 sixth round pick. So, looking at the moves across the board, right, that were made, the fact that Kyle Fuller didn't get moved by the Broncos, Desmond King didn't get moved by the Texans, those are two of the cornerback names that were out there that people were gravitating towards. Kyle Fuller never made much sense to me. He hasn't been playing very well. Uh, He hasn't been a player that's been in most – been comfortable in a lot of man coverage systems. He's more of a zone coverage type of guy. Now, maybe the Patriots are going to do more of that, but they're still going to want to lean on some man coverage, you know, assignments and, and uh, schemes. They're not going to go full zone. Right. So uh, they're not, that's not a great fit. They had to take on some money to do it. I wasn't in love with the Kyle Fuller move. Des King would have been interesting just because he is a nickel. He does play in the slot. That might have been a little bit more uh, their type uh, or their cup of tea. But uh, ultimately, those two guys, Fuller and King, yes, they are names that maybe uh, folks recognize. But at the same time, they're not really players that are true upgrades over Jalen Mills and over Miles Bryant, especially when you factor in Miles Bryant's versatility and what he can do in different spots in the defense and different roles, it wasn't a really huge upgrade uh, for them anywhere. So that, to me, why get these guys in the building and then try to get them to surpass a Jalen Mills who's been here since uh, spring, the spring, right? And, and not have these guys get up to speed and and be ready to play. It just... It seems like they were going to make same. They were going to make lateral moves at the deadline. Right. They were, and you don't want to force those, right? And the only one that I would not necessarily second guess, but just think about is running back, right? If they could have gotten a Marlon Mack in here, if they could have gotten a Rex Burkhead or just somebody else that could carry the football, because you do look at that position, and not only are they a little bit thin now, but they're also. Oh, Damian Harris injury away from being in serious trouble at that spot. So maybe a running back would have made more sense if there was a, a guy that, in a trade that could have been available. But it seems to me like that wasn't presented to them because nobody moved. Marlon Mack didn't move. Right. right? He wasn't dealt. So. And let's not forget, I mean, they've had opportunities to add running backs here. Yeah. I don't know why suddenly they would have made that move. Now they've needed to make that move for weeks and they haven't done it. And I don't know. They need to give anything up. You know, there's still free agents out there. Duke Johnson's out there. I, you know, I think would be a good addition. I'll bring up Todd Gurley's name again. I don't know why 30, whatever he is, 38 year old Adrian Peterson signed before 27 year old Todd Gurley. Maybe you can explain that one to me. I don't think Todd Gurley was that bad last year. Timeless. That's why. I mean, don't get me. It's nothing against Adrian Peterson. I love Adrian Peterson. I love that signing. Uh, my favorite running back in the league, potentially replaced by my second favorite running back in the league. Can't uh, Patriots excluded. Can't hate that, but. Yeah, I, there's still free agent running backs out there. I don't – Marlon Mack is kind of an exception because we know he was available. We know he'd be an upgrade. Anybody else, I mean, you're going to get – I don't know that you're going to get an upgrade for Ramondre Stevenson. No. They're, they're, clear, they're hesitant to play him, but he's been playing well, right? So – they weren't going to get an upgrade at any. I don't think they were going to get an upgrade at tackle, wide receiver, 
corner or running back in this trade market. It just, it wasn't there. And the trade, the move wasn't there for the right. Patriots perspective from a cap perspective to make a move for a, a, a stud wide receiver, like an Odell, who I think was available. If you, if you made the right call and you made the right uh, offer, that move wasn't possible based off of the way that the Patriots are set up cap wise. And it just didn't feel like there was a, a move that was going to upgrade with the space that they had at any spot, really besides the only one thing that I could say would be potentially running back because you you just need a body there. It's not even so much. But again, then, then why not just dip player. into free? Why not just dip into free agency? If you just need a body. Yeah. that That's probably what they're thinking. They probably have an emergency list of running backs that if Damian Harris were to go down or Brandon Bolden were were to go down that they have a list of running backs that they like the one name that is all over the chat Alex um that we need to bring up is Deshaun Jackson who was not love Deshaun know, Jackson people love Deshaun Jackson it's, what's not to love I mean he's speed, speed kills great right? player great great player fun to watch been doing it forever I just like personally one of my favorite receivers to there's very few players in the league left that I can say I watched growing up I, I Deshaun Watts came in the league what 2008 right so I was Around there, yeah. Like 14, 15. Like, I watched him in high school. So, there's not many players I can say that about anymore. But, uh, yeah, Deshaun, love Deshaun Jackson. I hope he gets a chance to go win a ring. I do. So, the Rams, I, I guess the report this morning, I think it was from Mike Garofolo, was that he was going to get released if he they couldn't find a trade partner today. So, Deshaun Jackson could be getting released here. I, I don't know. It we've talked about this on the show last week, I think because Deshaun Jackson's name has been out there for a while now that the Patriots have had ample opportunities to bring Deshaun Jackson in. They've had three or four chances where he's just a street free agent waiting for some team to come and knock on his door and sign him. And it's never happened. So I don't know what would change now versus some of the other instances where the Patriots had an opportunity to sign Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. I, you know, I don't see, and they have Nelson Aguilar, little redundant they don't as much as it would be nice if they'd put the two of them on the field at the same time and put some speed on the field yeah i don't think that's something they would i don't think they would see it that way right i think they'd see it they'd see they'd see as good as deshaun jackson is i think they'd see him as a redundancy so i don't think they'd bring him in yeah, a guy like Deshaun does feel a little bit more John Brown. Those guys feel more redundant to Nelson Aguilar than, let's say, Brandon Cooks, because Brandon Cooks can be a true boundary outside right. player. Brandon Cooks a better player. Yeah, whereas John Brown and Deshaun Jackson at their best are guys that play more out, out of the slot, and that's that speed slot Tyreek Hill type of role, right? Where you get them on the deep crossers and things like that from inside the formation. That That is exactly how the Patriots got that 44-yard completion in Nelson Aguilar on Sunday against the Chargers, was putting him inside and having him run the deep over from the number two spot. So that those players seem a little bit more redundant than Nelson Aguilar. Cooks, I don't think, was available. Hey, look, I, I – I gotta be was honest. John, did John Brown get cut? I keep seeing people say John Brown. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I must have missed that one. But I'm trusting. I did. I mean, I he he's a if if they're not gonna if you're uh, he's available. Yeah, he is a free agent. He if was, you're not. He was available. Or is still did didn't he get signed for a quick second and then maybe cut I think again? he did. I would say that if if you're not gonna sign Deshaun Jackson, you're not gonna sign John Brown. Deshaun Jackson's yeah. better to you know John Brown. So. So 
Segwaying into this Chargers game, because there's just not a whole lot left to talk about with the trade deadline. The Patriots didn't make a move if you're coming in late. No trades for the Patriots. They stayed pat at the deadline. I guess they did make the Gilmore trade. Uh, was that two weeks ago now? But in yeah. terms of trades right now on Tuesday, no deals for the Patriots. Segwaying into this matchup against the Chargers, the one thing I find interesting, I got it. I got it. The nerds lose. All right. Uh, the one thing that I find interesting is just reading the chat and based off of things that we've talked about with people in the chat in the past and the comments and all this stuff about the Patriots needing a wide receiver. The, everybody's desperate for the Patriots to add another wide receiver. And I watched this tape against the Chargers, and I I, I got to be honest, it, it Guys getting open was not the issue, right? Guys getting open on offense was not the issue. They had receivers that were open. Uh, they had opportunities to push the ball down the field. Uh, unfortunately, I thought early on the offensive line struggled a little bit in pass protection, and they kind of got uh, they, they they got into the game a little bit more as it went on. They were not uh, Mac Jones was not very good in this game in the first half. He missed some throws. He's a rookie quarterback. No one's killing Mac for missing a couple of throws in his rookie season, but they were open receivers and Mac didn't play particularly well. But with that said, just starting with the offense, Alex, they executed late, which is something that they hadn't done all year long up until this point, I would say to a degree. And most importantly, there are three boxes that Mac Jones checked, right? He executed late. He hit the big plays when they presented themselves, like the one to Aguilar, the Hunter Henry crossing route, the plays on the final drive, the Myers and the Keel Harry. And the third and most important thing, he protected the football, right? And you look at the other side and you look at Justin Herbert turning the ball over twice and throwing a pick six. That's what ended up being what decided the game. So I think that in a lot of ways, this was not Matt Jones' A-plus game. This was not a perfect game by any means for the Pats rookie. But these are the types of games that you like to see them gut out. When the quarterback is not at his best, they're still able to put up enough offense to get the win. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd say this might have been Matt Jones' worst game as a pro. And I know people will say his accuracy was all over the map. Yeah. Right. I know people will say he threw three picks against the saints and you know, statistically yeah. that saints game is his worst game, but the offensive line was brutal in that game. I mean, he was constantly off his back foot. I actually thought overall, I thought the offensive line was good in this game. When you consider the fact that they're facing, you know, that chargers defense and Joey Bosa. Right. I, I, I thought they did as well as you could expect it. I, it, the, the, yeah. outside of those two holding penalties. Right. I mean, I mean, pass blocking. Yeah. I think this offensive line did kind of as much as you could ask him. I'll say with Mac, the good and the bad, uh, he did miss some throws. He certainly missed some throws highlighted by what should have been a touchdown to Kendrick Bourne in the end zone, overthrows him a near, a near turnover. The Patriots end up stalling on downs down on the goal line as a result of that. But he, I mean, he missed throws. He just, he wasn't accurate. He made all the right reads, right? He was throwing to open receivers. He just, he didn't hit them. So, I, I know, you know, people will be worried about it. I, I Could it be a trend? Absolutely. I don't think it's a trend. I think he had a bad game. Sometimes quarterbacks have bad games. It happens. Even Tom Brady's had a bad game or two. So, you know, I'll chalk that up as his accuracy was a little off. Kind of, it seemed like it got to him mentally. Because when he came out of the half, he was doing much better. I think it just sort of built up a little bit. Yeah. And then once, you know, once they came out of halftime, he sort of readjusted himself. But like you said, guys were getting open. 
Um, and the late game execution, I, I texted you. I think I texted you. I texted somebody during the game. I was like, here we go again, where the defense is playing great. The offense can't do their share and the defense is going to get burned late in the game because of it. And it didn't happen. The defense comes up with the big play. The offense comes up with the big drive. That right. that that fourth quarter drive, that was old school. That was old school yeah. Patriots football. And they did it. And they did it for the most part throwing. They sprinkled in the run there to run clock, but the they got down the field by throwing right. the football on that last drive. And it so, was great to see that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, so I was gonna it was I mean, pants started coming off during that drive. No, I'll I'll give you one really good example uh, of something on that drive you mentioned throwing the ball and just something the overall picture of this season, right? When we talk about growth and how is this team going to grow and how is this team going to learn? And this is a developmental season. If you remember, uh, it was the third down on that drive. And I, I have the playlist here in front of me. I want to pull the exact play up because I want to get these numbers right because it's, it's worth the credit. So with three and a half minutes to go, they have a third and one on the Chargers 13. This is on that drive that killed six minutes late in the game, right? Yeah. Third and one, three minutes to go. They roll Mac out to the right. Yeah. They, they they play action. Everybody else goes to the left. They roll Mac to the right with just Jacoby Myers in the flat. Mac hits him, gets down and bounds first down. Boom. After that play, the Chargers take their first time out. The Patriots are able to run three more plays, kick the field goal. So what happens if that pass is incomplete, right? The Chargers get the ball back. They have all three timeouts left and about three minutes to go. It's not a bad situation for them down, you know, down one score or down two scores, but three minutes, all their timeouts because right. they don't get that pass. The chargers have to burn all three timeouts and the Patriots take another minute off the clock. So instead of three timeouts and three minutes to go, it's no timeouts and two and a half minutes to go. Huge difference. The other reason that play stood out to me is, and I can't remember what game it was. I, I tried to go back and look, I want to say it was the saints game, but it might've been the Bucks. They ran that same play in a similar situation. I think they were down, but it was late in the game. It was a one-score game. They had a third and short down near the, the, the end zone, and they needed to pick it up, and Mac rolled right. And remember, he overthrew Jacoby Myers. It goes off Myers' hands. It got picked off, and I think it was a pick six. Do you remember the interception I'm talking about? Like, I can't remember the game, but they ran that same play earlier. So no, they, they ran the play against Miami in week one. Was and it Miami? Okay. Yeah, it wasn't a pick. He just he, maxed- he missed him. He macked through it a little bit, Aaron, and, and Jacoby Myers dropped it, and they ended up having to kick the field goal. Yeah. Or and Oh, it, no. or No, because it was late. Was that – that might have been before the Damian Harris fumble. That might have been on that drive. It was – yes, it was this, It was the second-to-last drive of the game against Miami. Okay, Not the yeah. Damian Harris drive, but the drive okay. before that. And they ended anyway, up having that, to kick a field goal. Right. And so I, the point – Yeah. Just the point being that that's a play they couldn't make earlier this year. Yeah. And now they've made it, and that's growth, and that's what you want to see. That's encouraging. Uh, they've made it a couple of times, actually. They, they've they made it since then. I think they've ran that play four or five times since then, and they've hit it all every single time. Right, right. And but they hit had it in it, that spot. Yeah, they had it in week one. They just didn't – the throw was a little bit right. off, and Myers couldn't corral it. So they, they've had that play up in their bag. They ran it last week on fourth down uh, against um, the Jets. Yeah, they ran it, and, and and they they did it successfully on that play as well. So uh, there's a lot of uh, things that you really like about this offense, but for the most part, I think what the best part was is that last drive. Is how many times have we seen the Patriots with Tom Brady have that put that that last drive together and and put the nail in the coffin? Now you would have liked to have seen 
the defense not give up the touchdown late and make the onside kick a thing. But at the end of the day, the defense gives up a, t- a touchdown there. I think there was 10 seconds left. when. Yeah, I don't fault them. For, you know, Jalen Mills could have played that ball better. But overall, yeah. I mean, it's Hail Mary. They didn't let him score quick. That's what you're doing there. If, right. if they're going to score, they need to score. So if they're going to score, that's fine. Just don't let them score quick. It's it's situational football. You're right. Ideally, you don't want to give up the touchdown. But I think with the defense, and I I because I, I want to come back on this because I I ripped them for this after yeah. the Cowboys game. And I want to be fair. You remember after the Cowboys game, I was play distribute uh, uh, play disparity, play disparity, play disparity. Yeah. Right. In this game, this this time around, the Patriots out snapped the Chargers seventy five to fifty eight. Yeah. Thirty five minutes of time of possession, seventy five to fifty eight, and you could see it late. That Chargers defense was gassed. And that's a big part of the reason that last drive worked. That's the blueprint right there. That's what this team needs to do. That that was beautiful to see. Yeah, so it's a really... Uh, the finishing of the game is really what stood out the most to me, uh, along with the fact that they were actually... They actually showed some mental toughness in a game. For the first time in a long, long time, they didn't have everything go right. Because I think a lot of the Patriots teams over the last, uh, or a lot of games for the Patriots over the last two years, I should put it that way, that red zone sequence in the second quarter, where they only get three points on two red zone inside the 10 drives, right? They get down to right. the Los Angeles one yard line the first time, and then they get down to the LAC six the second time. That probably would have buried a lot of Patriots teams in the past. I think what would have buried a lot of Patriots teams in the past, too, was the big plays, right? The 75-yard run, the opening drive touchdown. These things that tend to just snowball on this team a little bit. This team was resilient. This team fought back. This team stayed in the game and was competitive throughout the game. And they were able to overcome a lot of mistakes. They were able to overcome their quarterback not playing his best game. They were able to overcome some big plays they allowed on defense. They were able to overcome a fumble by Kendrick Bourne in scoring territory, two red zone drives that net three points. Those are all things that went wrong. And this team in the past, their margin for error has been so thin that they haven't been able to recover from those types of mistakes and those types of sequences. So the fact that they were able to do that and show some mental toughness and show some fortitude to be able to come back and bounce back from some of these things and and win the football game, that is what winning teams do. And the other thing that winning teams do is what I was mentioning about Mac. And how many times, Alex, because Tom Brady had a ton of, hall of fame caliber games with the patriots right but he also had those games where he just didn't have his best stuff but he did just enough in the game he didn't turn the football over he made the throws when the throws presented themselves and the patriots won the game with good with good play in all three phases right they just outclassed the other team in all three phases and they still won the game They have to be able to win those types of games. Mac Jones is not going to throw for 300 plus yards and three TDs every single week. They have to be able to win some of these games where their quarterback and their passing game isn't great. And that was another good sign. I thought that they had their C plus stuff on Sunday and they beat a really good chargers team anyways. Yeah. You got to win games like that. That's what we thought would be all year, right? That really is. And then obviously Mac's been better than expected, but they, you have to be you have to be able to win games like that, and it, it it's because I think they've overall, especially offensively, I think they've played better in losses. But you know, it was we were worried about how thin the margin for error was going to be, and when the defense plays like that, which I think they're capable of on a regular basis, 
when the defense plays like that, that margin for error gets a little wider. Yeah, Mac ran for a first down. He also threw a bomb to Nelson Aguilar. And so a lot of those narratives that Mac has some noodle arm and can't move, right? That that those that are too, out. yeah. Those are narrative really busting to game. go out the door a lot quickly uh, here. I mean, well, to be fair, though, I mean, the three, that was a complete Mac buster game both ways, because you're right. He's not narrative. He runs for his second first down in two weeks. He has a noodle arm. He hits a throw down the field. He's got pinpoint accuracy. He's missing open wide receivers left and right. I mean, it was just an antithesis game for Mac Jones. However, no, nobody won in the Mac Jones discourse on Sunday. I don't think the pro Mac people won. I don't think the people against Mac won. It, so it was, I just, it was so, an odd game. I think the pro Mac people won because in my, as a pro Mac person, in my opinion, if you, I thought Charles Davis on the broadcast summed it up perfectly, right? He said an ace pitcher in baseball Sometimes you throw a perfect game and sometimes you don't have your best stuff, but you have to gut it out. Right. And you have to get through six innings. You have to give up the three runs and put your team into a position to win. And that's exactly what Mac Jones did. He gutted it. I guess. Yeah. I I should rephrase that. Not the the pro Mac people didn't win, but Mac didn't necessarily do all the things that, that he, he didn't do well in the the areas of his game that that have been hyped up. I would say It, it was, it was finding other ways to win, which is in itself a positive. Like you just said, I mean, he adjusted and found a way to win, but the things that we've been hyping up, you know, the accuracy and all of that, it just, it was odd. It wasn't there, but I don't think yeah. that'll be a, a trend. Two more things on the offense. I've just to wrap up on Mac Jones. The one thing that I have noticed about him mechanically is his base and his footwork are so important to his accuracy. And if you watch the throw to Kendrick Bourne on the goal line, where he had Bourne open for the touchdown on the return route, he throws from a very narrow base and he doesn't really step into the throw and the ball sails on him. He talked about this on the radio a few weeks ago, where he said that I wasn't stepping into my short throws and that was causing the ball to come out inaccurately. That's something that I've noticed consistently that he needs to fix with his mechanics is Mac needs to step into the throw. Right. He needs to have that willingness to step into that throw and be able to push the ball down the field that way. So the fact that uh, that just keeps popping up is is it's a good thing that he's identified it. Hopefully he cleans that up because he had born uh, for a walk in touchdown on, on that return route out of the stack alignment. Right. They, they beat the rules perfectly of the coverage. They, they had him wide open, walk right in. And it just wasn't uh, the, the the throw wasn't there. And I went, walked, went back and watched the throw a bunch of times. And it really felt like his footwork and his base narrowed on him. And uh, that's why the ball wasn't where it needed to be. So look for that uh, when you watch Mac Jones. And, and when the ball is, tends to spray on him a little bit, it seems like it has a lot to do with his footwork and not stepping into the throw. The last thing I wanted to talk about on the offense was the offensive line. Because I asked Josh McDaniels this morning about why it took so long for them to move Mike on Wenu back to right tackle. And I thought he gave an explanation. I was kind of expecting to hear, but a really good explanation nonetheless about how back in training camp, they felt like Mike on Wenu was going to play guard. They repped him at guard basically all summer long and they were trying to develop him at guard. And now they have been able to get him more reps at tackle as the season has progressed in season practices. They've been able to uh, get him more reps at tackle and now they've made the switch. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we talked about, right? When people yeah. were asking earlier in the year, it just sort of felt like they wanted to give guys a look at other positions on when to include it. But I mean, I think we have our answer. He's a tackle. Cause yeah. not, 
not only do they need him at tackle, I think he's played better at tackle than he has a guard. Yeah. So he's, he, I, he I, pretty good I, at I think guard he's a tackle. He was tough. good at guard. He was good at guard, but he's better at tackle. Yeah. It's tough because just from a value standpoint, now getting into the, sorry, Alex, getting into the, into the nerd language. I'm fine, here. I'm fine using it. Are you going to talk about it in terms of like team building? Cause I'm fine. I'm talking, yes, I'm talking about okay. it as in, if Mike on Wenu is, I don't want to, I don't want to put any expectations on, but if he's a very good right tackle in the NFL, that is more valuable than Mike on Wenu being a very good left guard in the NFL, just from a team building perspective. And then you can go into right. next off season. You have Isaiah win on his fifth year option at left tackle. Maybe you draft another tackle early to compete with Isaiah win in camp, or maybe take the mantle from Isaiah win after next year. And you reset at that position. But if you have Mike Onwenu as your right tackle for now and for the future, that is one big spot on the offensive line. That's now the three most important spots in the offensive line are both tackles in the center, right? Those are the three right. most important spots. So playing him at left guard, maybe Mike Onwenu might develop one day into an all pro left guard. He has got that ability. He's got that power and the play strength and the movement and the smarts and all that kind of stuff to be an all pro player at guard. Maybe he's not an all pro tackle but he's a very very good tackle and that might be more valuable from a team building perspective yeah i i again i still think he's a better tackle i i still just from what they i've seen out more at tackle so it's hard to say okay fair you, enough but yeah, I, they, yeah you know they they chip joey bosa a whole lot in this game and i'm not saying that that's a bad that's good coaching right that's not a right, bad thing right. it's not like they went into the game and said oh man you know mike on Wenu versus joey bosa is such a huge mismatch that we need to give on Wenu help they just didn't want Bosa to take over the game. So they did the right thing and they made sure that he got some extra attention. I just think, like you said, to just be locked in at right tackle is, is a good spot to be. So I would just, I would leave him over there and I guess we'll see what happens when Trent Brown comes back. But I'm also not opposed to the idea that Isaiah wins expendable next off season in the trade. So, you know, that doesn't happen if you don't have, have Owenu at right tackle. So we will see, but yeah. I think I, I I think he should stay out there for the time being. I, I get the whole practice reps thing, and I understand that they felt that on when it was more of a guard than the tackle, and they want. I, I got Josh McDaniels's explanation 100, percent right? I thought what he said made total sense, but at the same time, on when had how many starts at right tackle last year? I have to look it up. It's it had to be in the double digits, right? I so, mean, it's all but one, right? So how much? How many reps in practice did he really need to be able to kick back out there? Like he was playing out there all last year. It's not like he has a position he's never played before. Well, let's you know? not forget too. The other weird thing about that explanation, and I'm I'm pulling that number up for you, Evan, right here. But yeah, the other weird thing about that explanation. Remember when we were all so surprised last year that Michael Owen Wenu started at tackle because he only played guard in camp. Right, right. And he only so, played guard at Michigan. He was a guard. Right. So, yeah. cl- but but my point is. Clearly last year, their approach to the offensive line this year and last year have been complete opposites. Yeah, We talked about this before with the alignment. Last year, they're harping on, you got to get the best five guys, best five guys, best five guys. You move players around out of position, best five guys. This year, they're hesitant to move players out of position. Last year, Michael Owen, who doesn't play any tackle in camp, and then he's rotating in at at, at right tackle week one. He's playing 50% of the snaps at right tackle week one. And then this year, well, you know, it's where he worked at camp. We can't move him because he didn't get the snaps there at camp. So it's polar opposite. It's and I don't know 
what the difference is, right? Scar hasn't been here. Scar wasn't here either year. Yeah. So maybe it's, it's Cole Popovich. Maybe it's losing Cole Popovich, but right. did Cole Popovich really have that much say? Were him and Carmen Brasillo yeah. that opposites in I, the I room? Be I don't think so. You, I, I think that the decisions of who plays and who doesn't play on the offense are up to Josh McDaniels and Bill. I Bell, agree right? with you. So I, mean, I just, yeah, it's been a complete 180 from the way they approached the offensive line last year. Now it's starting to kind of level out, but early on in that season, it was, it was weird. It was just weird. Yeah. It, it's very interesting, but now they've got it right. And it feels like that group is going to build continuity as we move forward and get better and better and be able to, uh, steady the ship there they've, they've steadied the ship already over the last two weeks I, I know one of them was against the Jets but last week statistically speaking Matt Jones only under pressure I believe the number was 26 percent of the time so that that's that'll get it done whenever you have a yeah. quarterback that's a pocket quarterback like Mac that has a relatively quick time to release you want to be under 30 percent pressure rate right somewhere under 30 percent will do and the Patriots have been there two straight weeks they didn't run the ball quite as effectively you did mention the holding calls that called back two big runs so that uh, hurt their statistics a lot as well but that's on the O-line can't hold so you know there there are some things to be said about this offensive line stabilizing I don't think it's 100 percent there yet it's not perfect uh, they need to have put together I guess against the Jets, they more or less had a complete game, but it was the Jets, right? So they need to put together a complete game against a good opponent. They'll have another chance against Carolina, who has a great defensive front. They have multiple guys that are tough to block. Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Derek Brown. Uh, that's a mean Carolina defensive front. So they'll have another opportunity uh, to prove that there. Let's move over to the defense, though, for the Patriots in, in this game against the Chargers. Uh, what can you say? I mean, just a great performance. I thought... From the beginning, I've been trying to tell you guys this defense is legit. It's it's better than people are giving it credit for. That's for sure. I have people in my mentions all the time talking about how this defense stinks and the linebackers are slow and they have nobody to cover and the only good player is Judon. Uh, the Patriots' defense right now is 11th in DVOA. Uh, they're eighth in points. They're 13th in yards. They are an above Don't average defense. Points. Points. That's the whole conversation. Well, points. Point, but points are, you know, you got to, you got to talk about some of the other factors. If you want to throw in DVOA, I'll let you throw in DVOA. You don't need yeah. to go to yards. I'll, because you points want one. is a lot about points is a lot about what the offense is doing too. Right. And well, I think it, the sign of a good defense is regardless of what the offense is doing, they can stop it. You can't be one dimensional defensively. Yeah. So I think the fun thing about this defense is uh, two things. One they're playing a little bit more zone. And I wrote about this today. Uh, they were 76% zone last week against the Chargers. Uh, they're playing more zone over the last couple of weeks. It feels like the line of demarcation was that Houston game, right? Uh, they get shredded by Davis Mills and man coverage. Davis Mills uh, goes out there and picks apart their man coverage system. And since that point, they've been a majority of the snaps that they've played since week five have been in zone coverage. This is now going on three straight games now. Now, a lot of the Patriots zone principles are match zones, right? Where they're playing man to man on vertical routes. So it's kind of a little bit of both. It's man or right. it's, it's man and zone. So there are some elements to it that are still very man heavy and they leverage routes in a similar way. But at the same time, uh, more zone Early downs, more spot drop. Third down, more pattern match type stuff. But you look at this team, and, and this is what I wrote on CLNS this morning. You look at the personnel in the secondary. And the five guys that they – I'll get to J.C. Jackson in a second. But the safeties, right? Duggar, Phillips, McCourty. Uh, Miles Bryant in the slot. 
and Jalen Mills and at outside corner, those five guys, what the one thing that I can probably say is the best attribute for all five of those guys is versatility, right? Their ability to move to different spots and play different assignments. So if you pigeonhole those guys all to man coverage responsibilities, now it's just mano y mano, right? It's my guy against your guy. It's not as uh, complex as a zone coverage, but those five guys can all play different spots in the zone. They can move around. They can play boundary. They can play up. They can play down. They can do different things with their coverage and their rotations as a result of that. And then you have your best player in the secondary being JC Jackson. And although he's a very good press man corner, I would say JC Jackson's best attribute is his ball hawking ability. So another reason to play more zone, right? Because now he has the eyes on the football and he's able to go out there and ball hawk. So your best player in the secondary is a ball hawk. That speaks to zone coverage. Your other five guys that you're going to play the most are versatile players that can move around and play different spots. That speaks to more zone coverage. And then you start to talk about the front and Matt Judon and Christian Barmore and the fact that they can actually get home with four guys in the pass rush. That's also zone coverage, right? So you have a lot of things pointing towards this defensive personnel for the Patriots probably being a better zone coverage team than a man coverage team at this point. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Again, it's blurry. Like you said, with the, some of the match stuff they're doing, like it still feels yeah. like JC Jackson's playing. I know he's in zone. It still feels like he's playing man, but yeah. Um, I'll just, I'll just throw out some other numbers, just the overall defensive performance. You talked about the coverage, yeah. but just some things I want to highlight. Chargers came in top five team on third down in the league, right around 50%. Patriots held them to four of 12. Yeah. They Patriots were on third down. Patriots committed no penalties on defense in this game. Yeah. Um, you know, they get a couple of, of, of big turnovers there. I mentioned the play disparity, the time of possession. The defense was getting off the field. They weren't giving the Chargers extra chances. They got off the field when they had the chances. They even got off the field sometimes when they didn't have the chance with the interceptions. Just a, a an excellent performance from the defense. One other number I, I, I want to put out there. So I when we did the show last week, I talked about how the Patriots hit Herbert 11 times last year. And I thought that that was a big part of it and getting his face. They hit him six times, which yeah. is not an insignificant number. But but the, the real one that stood out to me was passes deflected. Yeah. They got their hands on eight passes. Oh, wow. I didn't and realize it was, it was that much. Yeah. Well, so it, and the reason it maybe didn't – so that, it, that includes interceptions. So six batted yeah. down, two picks. Part of the reason it didn't seem like it is that number – people think of, you know, PBUs, they think of defensive backs. Right. But – Right. So I'm going to go through it right here. Uh, Dietrich Wise had a pass breakup, a really nice pass breakup. Yep. Kyle Van Noy had a pass breakup. They're get, they were getting to the ball at the line of scrimmage, too. And what that can be a symptom of, right, when you see that many pass breakups in a game, when a quarterback gets that many passes knocked down at both levels, what that tells me is just his timing wasn't there. And even if it's just a little bit off, and this is what we talked about on Thursday. I know I was saying it all week. They just got to get him happy feet in the pocket. You don't yeah. want to chase him because you don't want him scrambling, but you don't want him to just sit there either. You want to move him off his spot just enough. And I think they did an excellent job of finding that balance. And that's a tough balance, but I think they did an excellent job of finding that balance where he had to keep his feet moving. He was constantly having to readjust and it was throwing things off. But at the same time, he wasn't given the the the, the opportunities to scramble and extend plays. Yeah. So they were in their bag defensively from a schematic standpoint for multiple reasons. The back end was very multiple rotations, man match, zone match, things like that. But in the front end, 
And one of the things that just continues to stand out about this Belichick scheme and how good they are, are the simulated pressures. So what, what they were doing to get Barmore and Matt Judon one-on-one on the pass rush was they were putting four or five, six guys up on the line of scrimmage and then getting the charger line to slide protection one way or the other, mostly away from Judon and Barmore. And then they were backing those guys off the line into coverage, but they one-on-ones were still presented to themselves, right? They were still there for the Patriots. And you look at Judon, who had 10 quarterback pressures and was just absolutely ridiculous in this game. Barmore was really good too. I thought PFF was a little bit low on the pressure number. But PFF can get the hell out of here with the way they're grading Christian Barmore. I mean, I'm sorry. I've already already tried to argue with them about the Christian Barmore stuff. He might be the ultimate eye test player, which frankly makes me love him even more than I already did. But yeah, and he he finally got his half a sack this week, and and I'm happy for him. He he's earned it. But he is just constantly go back and watch. It feels like once a drive at least, and I'm yeah. not talking about in this game. I'm talking about all season where he is out of his stance and into the offensive lineman's frame before the offensive lineman can get up into position yeah. and. There's other defensive linemen in the league that are that fast, but there's maybe only two or three who are that fast and that big. 6'6", listed 310, probably 320, 325. I mean, he is constantly against the run, against the pass. Again, you'll find once per drive all season where the – right, because the pocket normally looks like this, okay? If the quarterback is back here, the pocket normally looks like this. At least once per drive, that pocket becomes a little bit concave. And why is it getting pressed from the press from the middle is Christian Barmore. He's been absolutely outstanding. I, I mean, talk about just, I, I know we got a long way to go. It's just eight games, but if he can stay healthy and he can keep playing like this, that's a hell of a draft pick. That is a hell of a draft pick. Yeah. There is a third down play in this game. It, right on the goal line chargers were way backed up on the goal line. is after the fourth down red zone fail by the Patriots in the second quarter. And what, New England did was they put four guys up on the left side of the offensive line and they caused the chargers to slide the protection towards the left to account for the four guys that were standing up. There was Collins, there was Van Noy, Adrian Phillips. They were all up over that left side. And then they dumped all those guys off the line of scrimmage, but the protection call had already slid to that side, right? So the Chargers slide the protection to the left, and then on the right-hand side, and and the Patriots just scheme it up so well to get the right guys in the right spots. On the right-hand side is Christian Barmore one-on-one against the right guard and Matt Judon one-on-one against the right tackle. Well, you can guess how that turned out for the Chargers, right? The play got blown up instantly by those two guys. Barmore slants inside on the right guard and just penetrates the line immediately flushes Justin Herbert out. And then uh, Judon just closes down and makes sure that he doesn't get out on the scramble and they are able to get it, force an incomplete throwaway, and they have to punt from their own goal line. So and how, about, how about the two man game? Those guys are playing at times. Oh yeah. I mean, those guys are, they're a force when they're together on the same side of the line and they're able to scheme it up with those, with those creeper pressures, with those guys standing up over the left side, they're able to get one-on-ones with only rushing. That was a three-man rush. 
right? That ends up being a three-man rush, and they right. got eight players into coverage. But just the threat of bringing that pressure from the left-hand side is all you need. You don't actually have to rush those guys. So a really cool uh, cover uh, rush plan by the Patriots, and that's forming over the last couple of weeks, I would say, their ability to just threaten pressure but then back off and, and add a pressure because I think what they've been finding from a – other than the Miles Bryant from the slot blitz, which is undefeated, that's worked twice in two weeks. The blitzing up the middle, the linebacker level, it's just too easy for these quarterbacks. Every single offense has a pre-programmed hot for the middle linebacker blitz, right? It's it's right. just automatic. And you're pulling these guys out of the middle of the field coverage and you're trying to cover the back end with with six guys, and it's just too easy for these opposing quarterbacks. So now they're just showing the pressure. Then they're backing off and they're rushing three or four and they're getting one-on-ones for their best guys. And that's what's allowing them to get home. And if they continue that formula and they can keep getting Barmore and Judon, those one-on-ones then the pass rush will stay alive and they'll be able to drop seven, eight guys into coverage and play these zone match principles in the back end and they'll be able to cover it up. So I, I really feel like this defense is coming along. Do they have the secondary talent that they've had in years past? Absolutely not. They don't have that the Stephon Gilmore back there. Devin McCourty's not exactly the same player as he once was. They don't have the depth at cornerback, but they have that ability with a lot of really smart, high IQ players in the back end, I think, to do some complex stuff. And then you'll hopefully allow guys like JC Jackson and Kyle Duggar to roam around and potentially hunt for the football a little bit as well. So a fun chess match from Bill Belichick and the Patriots defense seems like they've also, we've talked a ton about the offense and them finding their way and them finding a formula just because of the rookie quarterback and the, in the storyline of Mac Jones being such a great storyline for this team. But it feels like the Belichick, finding the answer on defense and finding his way on defense has flown under the radar a little bit just because of the Mac conversation. And now all of a sudden we, we talk about McDaniels learning the strengths and weaknesses and adjusting the offense to fit the, the play personnel. Now it feels like Bill's doing the same thing on defense where they're starting to find the personnel. They're starting to figure it out. And a, a guy like Adrian Phillips is, is a perfect example of somebody that can play at all three levels of the defense and move those guys around and make it complex and make it hard to decipher for these quarterbacks. And that's exactly what you want to see. A lot of hate on, J- on Jalen Mills too. And uh, I, I can understand it. His, his targets base metrics, Alex are terrible. He's given up, a, I think maybe the highest passer rating in the league right now, depending on how you filter it. But at the same time, the Adrian Phillips pick six, guess who's the guy that has the coverage on Keenan Allen to force the co- the throw into the flat to the tight end. It's Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills, right. right? So, you know, look, I, I get that Jalen Mills has had a rough go over the last couple of games. He's definitely not a shutdown corner by any stretch of the imagination, but he did make a really key play on that pick six. It was one of the few times in the second half at the Patriots played man coverage and they used a robber or a cut player with Devin McCourty to bracket uh, Keenan Allen in the middle. And they forced uh, Justin Herbert to his second read of the tight end in the flat and uh, Jalen Mills, perfect leverage, perfect positioning, got him away from Keenan Allen and forced him to throw the ball elsewhere. And uh, that that's exactly there why that pick was made. So you can, Dog him for the touchdown at the end of the game. You can dog him for some of the plays that he's made over the last couple of weeks, but let's also give him some credit for a really good coverage play there 
uh, at the end of the game on the pick six. Any Anything else, Alex? Trade deadline stuff. We mentioned it all at the top of the show. I've seen Deshaun Jackson got released. We we know. We, we got yeah, that We talked about it. Yeah, I've seen that a million times in the chat. You can go back and listen to our conversation about if the Patriots should be interested in or not in Deshaun Jackson. But uh, on to Carolina now, Alex. Yeah. This is a good good Panthers defense. I'm not going to say it's a good Panthers offense. They've lost their way since Christian McCaffrey got hurt. But they are very, very good uh, defense as well. And yep. uh, top 10 in most metrics, an amazing front. Like a really, really difficult front to block. Uh, Burns and Reddick off the edges are as good as it gets as a pass rush tandem. Derek Brown's an immovable object. Daquan Jones is a really good interior rusher as well. Shaq Thompson from the second level. That that's going to be a tough team to block, right? They're going to have yeah. to their hard hats on Sunday for that for that front. And then I throw in, I really like Jeremy Chin too. I, I yeah, think he's a good player, player and. Yeah. So I, and then obviously Gilmore. So no, it's going to be, it's another good game. I, I don't think they're quite as good as the chargers uh, overall, but like you said, I think that defense is legit. And uh, it's this, the new and I don't know if we call it the new offensive line or the old offensive line, whatever it is going to be put to the test and right. uh, it should be a good one. Yeah. You think Sam Darnold's going to see ghosts? You think we're going to see a repeat? Of is that? he going to play? I don't know. I would almost, is it crazy for me to be more afraid of PJ Walker? Oh, I am. Oh, I totally am. <laughs> Who do you want? A guy who wasn't good enough for the Jets or the undisputed, the only man in XFL history to win the league MVP? I mean, it's a no-brainer. I now, almost, PJ, P, not only can P.J. Walker play, yeah. he's the kind of quarterback that's given them trouble the last couple of years. He's yeah. maybe not as good as some of those other guys, but like I think back to that Texans game last year and some of the fits Deshaun Watson gave them. Obviously, P.J. Walker's not as good as Deshaun Watson, but he can do some of what Deshaun Watson did that the Patriots really struggled with in that game. The Patriots, they, they face Darnold twice a year. They they have the book on Darnold. They know what they need to do. That's to how I Darnold. feel about it, too. Right. That's P.J. Walker's a, a, a bit of another animal. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel great. I mean, Darnold can move a little bit, right? But P.J. Walker's way more athletic. And you don't, oh, yeah. and you don't know as much about P.J. Walker. They have institutional right. knowledge of Sam Darnold. They've played him so many times. They... They can run so many different things against him, whether they want to try to throw zero blitzes at him again or play coverage, all these types of things, right? They they know the book on Sam Darnold. And especially when you look at this offense without a real rushing threat and then without a threat out of the backfield in Christian McCaffrey, their entire offense in the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, they played pretty well, this offense, right? And I was singing the praises of Joe Brady. There's a lot of crossover tape there with the Patriots playing the NFC South. And they looked pretty good for the first couple of weeks when Christian McCaffrey was healthy. Now Christian McCaffrey's gone out and their whole offense is tanked. So for the running backs don't matter crowd, I know I, I'm supposed to be in that, that school of thought, Alex. Uh, Christian McCaffrey feels like one of those guys that truly the whole offense ran through him, right? And I yeah. don't necessarily know if it was from a Carolina perspective that the offense was running through him or if defenses were game planning to number one item, let's stop Christian McCaffrey, right? And now that that's probably a little one, bit of both. Right. Now that that number one option isn't there anymore, they can focus more on DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in this passing game. And that's why you're seeing less plays in the passing game from Sam Darnold in Carolina. But I don't sleep on this Carolina defense. This is a very, no. very good Carolina defense. They run more of like a zone blitz type of scheme. They're not very, very man heavy, at least not yet. We'll see if that changes with Gilmore now in the mix, but uh, this is a very, very good 
Carolina defense. So Alex and I will talk about uh, the Panthers matchup with the Patriots later on in the week. This has been the trade deadline special where absolutely nothing happened. So we talked a lot about the Patriots win over the Chargers. If you want to listen to the first half of the show, that's when we go over a lot of the things about the trade deadline and why the Patriots didn't make a move. Some of the moves that are still left out on the board, like Deshaun Jackson getting released. So rewind to about the first 25 minutes or so to hear that. But until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. The math loses.